right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today I am chatting with Aditi. Did I say that properly? That was great. Okay. Um, who is a yoga teacher based in New York City, teaching public and live broadcast classes for Peloton. She also co-created Mindful Morning, a pop-up meditation event in New York City, and a, is a supporter of Exhale to Inhale. She has led classes for 2,000 yogis in Times Square for Good Morning America's top for Tone in 20, has contributed to Well and Good's Sweat Series, and has been named one of New York City's best teachers for class pass. And here's the line I love the most to Aditi. Yoga is a workout, a science, and a worldview wrapped into a way of life. So beautiful. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for that kind introduction. I have been looking forward to chatting with you. We had a little intro call a couple of weeks back, and I think I sent, I sent you a message about this. I mean, you were awesome from, from before speaking and before doing this research and having really dug into your mindset, at least what's available online. It's, it's really beautiful. So I can't thank you enough. And I'm excited to see what's behind the curtain when it comes to your mindset and, and your practices. So again, thank you for being here. Of course, I'm so excited. First question that most people get on this show is really just about who are you? What defines you as you? You know, I, you know, I, I had a feeling this question was coming. <laughs> and it, it's such a deep one. And, um, you know, I, I don't mean to skirt this question at all, but I really try not to, um, not to put boundaries on my identity. Um, I love that. And, you know, yoga teaches us that uh, we're, we're more than like, our roles, right? So I'm more than a teacher. I'm more than a sister. Um, I'm more than a friend. Um, it teaches us that we are really what's within us, that like spark that keeps us alive. You can call it your soul or, or any way that you want to think of it. Um, and so I really like to think about it that way. And I think about the things that feed that spark within me as like the things that really make me who I am. So the things that really, um, you know, do that for me, and I think it's different for everybody, but, you know, I think of um, the things that, that turn me on as learning, um, helping others. Like, I love being in that role of, like, I don't even think of teacher all of the time. I think more as, like, you know, I've learned something and now I get to share it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it can be really healing. I also think there's a different path that's not just teaching that's healing, which is like, it could be just being kind, you know, or being, or listening to somebody. And then I think there's a, the other thing that really feeds me is being creative and art, artistry. Um, so the, that's really, I think what makes me tick. And um, I have a, I definitely have a strong drive to not keep those things to myself, but to, to share them. So, so yeah, I guess that's, I don't know if I answered that question exactly, but um, I I love how you answered that question, <laughs> and, and I really like the the way you framed it up as I'm more than because that, I mean, I think I I don't have to tell you this, but I mean we're we're in a world right now where it's it's 
honestly, mostly or usually the complete opposite, right? That we tell ourselves that I'm, I should be, or I'm not there yet, or I'm just this. So I love that you framed it up as I'm, I'm more than, and it just gives a sense of that you're, you're always evolving as well, right? Absolutely. And I think any of us, you know, um, can redefine, can reboot, can um, like recreate ourselves as often as we want. And I don't think it has to be like a bad thing. I don't think that, I don't think something bad has to happen for you to decide to do something different with your life either. I think it can just be a choice. Um, and I do think that yeah. the truth is that if we allow ourselves to, like you said, like we are constantly evolving. When has, like, have you always been like this? Or I know yoga, ha- and we'll get to your your yoga path, but I know it's been a, in your life for quite some time. But were there, like, what elements led you down to this this belief or the, these these core views on on life? Because it's it's a really refreshing take. Um. So I definitely would not. I I have evolved a lot in my life. Sure. Uh, so I was exposed to um, Eastern philosophies growing up. I grew up Jain, which is, that's my religion. Um, and I was exposed to yoga and particularly meditation when I was young, which I think gave me, you know, a different sense or understanding or framing of the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that played some amount into it. I certainly think it made it easier for me to grasp yoga. Um, but when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I struggled with my identity because I was, um, one of very few Indian kids and I, um, I played sports. I really loved soccer and running and I studied math in college and I, you know, I really came to yoga when, well, in college because I stopped playing soccer and running and was like trying to figure out what to do. Um, and after college, because I ended up really a little lost. Like, um, I think we all in life, you know, whether with the best of intentions end up having sometimes expectations put upon us, whether they're like these societal kind of norms or whether we feel pressure because we see Instagram and think we have to be a certain way or, um, our parents want us some, want something for us. Right. And so I think like I wasn't really paying attention as a kid necessarily to what I truly wanted for a career. And um, I ended up studying math thinking I'd work in finance because that's what my dad did. And mm-hmm. I just, like didn't I just didn't think about it enough. Um, and it was only once I kind of started down that path that I realized like it, it was I was just going to be so unhappy um, and it wasn't worth it. And to yeah. me, um, I think there is, you know, of course we all need to, to make a living, but like, I just wasn't motivated enough by, um, money to want to do that. So what happened is that I, um, I ended up moving to India. So I'll backtrack. Hmm. <laughs> My parents were born in India. And then as I was beginning college or right before around that time, they moved back to India, they retired and they moved back. So after my, after I graduated from college, I didn't have anywhere to go. Like I only had India as my home. Um, so I went to, so I went to my parents' home and I was just like kind of in a weird angsty place, um, not knowing what to do with my life. And 
I was like, should I work for a nonprofit? Like, what should I do? And um, that's a lot of change and a lot of yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot, a of lot to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I just, you know, I, I had I had discovered yoga like recently, and I had gone down this like rabbit hole of internet and DVD yoga, like you know those old Rodney E DVDs <laughs> and like um, David uh, Swenson's Ashtanga and like. I had just like already kind of been doing this deep dive exploration into those. There are some like great old, like random Kundalini DVDs. Like I didn't know, you know, at the time I had like some background of Hatha yoga and I was just like learning about this whole world. So by the time I moved to India, I kind of got like more and more and more into it. And I, I actually just, I really loved Ashtanga. So I started practicing Ashtanga yoga in India and I had the time also um, to, to kind of like not, you know, I would say I love the way that David Swenson framed it because it was very like no pressure kind of way that he he explained it. Like just mm-hmm. you practice on your own, you take your time. And it, it's not like sometimes I think when in our current modern day practices, we go to class, we feel like we have to be a certain way or, look, you know, perform a certain way. But when I started, like like I said, I spent my whole life running and playing soccer and I wasn't very like my hips and hamstrings were pretty tight. Um I, it took a long time for me to get the breathing just like everyone else. Sure. Um, and so, but I had the time cause I wasn't doing anything. So I was at my parents and I was like, um, learning to cook a lot and learning to do a lot of yoga. That's really what I was doing. Sure. So that's where, that was like my kind of beginning, I guess, where yeah. I really committed. Well, and imagine just the practice and that, that whole element of not having all this pressure must have helped because, because I'm trying to like put myself back in, in those years as well, where it's like you finish your, your education and it's like, you're almost thrown into the rat race. Right. Or mm-hmm. there's just so many pressure, so much pressure to, okay, well like get into that job or wherever you're supposed to be. And here, like here you are, you've moved now kind of around the world essentially and are, it seems like slowing down a bit almost in, in a way. Yeah. I definitely had a sense of like existential dread, like, oh no, my, what I, I'm not doing anything with my life. I'm a failure, you know, but sure. at the same time, I think I, I recognized that I was like unhappy. I was anxious and, um, that I needed to find a way to deal with those things. And so that's where yoga and meditation and pranayama practices kind of like took took a, a kind of a front seat in my life, right? I was like, okay, I need to, I need to attend to this or I'm never going to be able to like move on. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think, well, I was just going to say at one point when we, when we first started recording, you mentioned um, something about that, you know, you don't think that it, it, you always have to be in that situation where you hit this crazy wall or whatever it is to like reinvent yourself, which I totally agree with. Uh, the majority though of, of situations, usually that's what does happen. And then all of a sudden there's like a career change or life perspective change. I'm just wondering from, from your perspective, like how we can, especially for, for people that are listening that are, you know, in school or coming out of school, like how, how we can help them through that process, you know, so that it's, it doesn't feel like, you're not going to figure it all out in five minutes, but also, you know, you don't have to get to this point where you're, you have this serious, you know, roadblock or, or major health scare or whatnot. Like, have you ever thought about that? Yes. Um, 
<laughs> I feel like you've thought about it a lot. <laughs> I, I have. And I'll tell you why. Because actually what happened is uh, when I moved to India is when I started my acting and modeling career, which is a really far cry from what I'm doing now, right? Um, and when I decided to not do that, it wasn't because I hated my job. I didn't hate my job. Um, I just recognized that um, there was something like this was calling to me more and maybe it was uh, there was like a lot of things that, that made me realize I wanted to make a change, but I wasn't miserable. I wasn't like, there isn't, there wasn't like a crisis happening in my life. I'll say that. Yeah. So I think, and the thing that I realized there were a couple things. One is, um, you know, I think that we make these plans for our lives and then we think that we have to follow them. But the truth is that we made the plans and we can change them. Like we're allowed to change them and it, it's, it's okay. Yeah, um, I love that. And then um, the other thing I think is like being willing to have a self-reflective practice. And I know it takes a long time, but a truly non-judgmental self-reflective practice where you can look at yourself and make friends with your demons and and be willing to be like, what is it? What, is, what does my heart truly desire? Right. And then not judge that because like maybe your heart truly desires like to be to, to, to focus on making money and like. I'm who am I to judge? Like, but at least like if you can recognize that within yourself, then you can do something about it, whether that's move in that direction or start to change that desire, that's up to you. But like, if you, um, you know, are in a place where like, for example, where I was, where I was like, not really thinking about what I truly wanted and just moving in this direction. I think there's a lot of value in looking at yourself and, 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 um, whether it's a meditation practice or like a journaling practice or um, any kind of self-reflective practice, which gives you the time to say like, what truly makes me tick? What makes me happy? What is the legacy that I want to leave for myself or for my family or whatever, in whatever way you frame it, right? Like what makes me feel alive? Like, and if, if the answer is not what you're doing, like maybe, you know, maybe there's the time to make a change. Well, and I like, yeah. And I like how you set it up that, I think the context of we're allowed to change the plan is it sounds simple, but that is a huge, huge thing to give yourself that permission, which then allows those other questions to be, you know, probably a little bit more authentic and um, easier to navigate. So I, I love the way you position that. I think the hardest part is not judging ourselves. I find that, um, for all of us, like, I mean, okay, I, I won't say all because I don't know everybody, but like, <laughs> I think for most people, we have this experience where we kind of, you know, there's parts of us that we don't like, or we think that, you know, we're, we're not like the hero of our own story in our mind. I think there's oh, yeah. like general grasping for more, or I could have done better, or I should be doing what this other person is doing. Um, or even if it's not comparing, there's just this feeling like that there's that we're not, we're not doing enough or we're not good enough. And I think that once we can like, and I'm not saying that is going to necessarily immediately go away, but like if we can work towards not judging what's happening within us, but like actually just noticing instead, I think there's just like, there's so much space that opens up. Right. Because the truth is like, nobody's perfect. So it's, isn't it okay for us to like look inside and be like, okay, I'm not perfect, but maybe I, I like actually want to do this thing, you know? Um, or I actually, whatever it is, like I'm feeling this way and it's okay for me to feel this way, which I think a lot of us don't allow ourselves. And I think that allowing ourselves to do that can 
just be so powerful. And I know, I know it takes time, but like, I think it's a valuable practice. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you just said it's a practice, right? There's a reason it's a practice. So I love it. Why do you think, I mean, I'm curious when you, when you move back to India or move to India, I should say, um, and just, you know, knowing a little bit of the, the culture and the history and whatnot, and just all of these different Eastern philosophies that are, it's like they're just being invented in, in the Western side of the world, which is which is always funny because it's literally thousands of years of uh, of these practices. And, and now all of a sudden they're becoming, you know, this mainstream and accessible and, and whatnot. Like, why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of reasons, but, you know, I think that in at least, you know, in my experience where I've lived in like the Northeast where life moves pretty fast mm-hmm. there um there's a lack of a lot of things that we might have had in the past whether that's like a strong community and shared beliefs or um maybe even like religion um i think that a lot of people are seeking and it's kind of for the same reasons that i would suggest having that self-reflective practice i think when we feel like I'm not sure who I am, what I want. Um, I don't know if what I'm doing is what I really want. I don't have a place where I belong. I feel like when we lose that feeling of belonging is when we start seeking, right? And we're like, I need to find something. And I think that is a lot of people's first step into a yoga classroom. Um, They're looking for a way to feel more connected to the world that we live in, whether that's on, you know, a community level or like a spiritual level. And I think that um, it's been a long time coming in a sense like yoga obviously isn't really new, but but it took a long time for these practices to become to be framed in a way that was accessible enough to become popular for one thing. And also mm-hmm. for people to be in a place where they, they really needed it more. Um, yeah. And I think that that's really why it's kind of um, becoming more, more popular. I do think it's really necessary. I also think it's important for people who are interested in yoga and meditation and all of these kind of Eastern practices to take a deep dive. You know, I think it's wonderful to start, um, start with whatever, like, even for me, like, you know, um, whatever you can kind of get your hands on to learn and explore. But then I think if, if it means something, it's worth taking a deep dive and understanding the worldview and the philosophy behind it. I think that will, you know, adds a lot of depth and meaning to what you're doing. Well, yoga is such a beautiful example of that. And, and I fall into this camp uh, up until recently. But like, I think most people see yoga as just poses when it, that's, I mean, just a fraction of the practice, right? Um, but that's what you see on on Instagram. But to your point, if you you just take a deep dive, there's so much in in just yoga itself, but all of these practices. Totally. And you know what's amazing though about yoga, and you know, I'm I'm speaking as a teacher that teaches like poses, right? I, my, I teach a yoga class where we're doing postures. Um, I think many of us have the experience, and, and maybe we have this experience in other fitness classes as well, but I think in yoga in particular, we have this experience that's beyond the physical, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we just, we feel something different and it's like, maybe it's related to our, you know, body language and like what we're doing. 
or maybe it's the breathing or maybe it's what your teacher is saying, but, or maybe it's just like combination of things, but it's an experience that's usually like beyond, like if you were stretching or if you were, you know, just doing a workout. Um, and I think, uh, that's a reason to take a deep dive because yoga is really using the grossest part of you, your physical body to kind of wind its way inwards and create space in a way that's not just physical. Um, and I think that people like feel it right when I teach for example I'm trying to give people an experience of yoga that's beyond just stretching your hamstring um and I think that a lot of people do feel that when they take a yoga class um even if they at first kind of have this idea of like you know nailing your handstand or whatever um so yeah I think it has like a a deeper value and and that not only do people feel it and that's kind of what keeps them interested and engaged, but also why I hope that they start to look a little further or if any, honestly, like at the end of the day to, to, to just totally simplify it, like yoga, I think is like just a means to a meditation practice. And I think a meditation practice is invaluable. So oh, I love that. That's love my, that. that's my, if I could just <laughs> like get everyone to do something, it would be like hop on that train. Yes, totally. Well, and I think the other thing that that I hear a lot as well, and I mean, I'm I'm quite deep in the whole journaling world, which has, you know, a lot of definitions and stereotypes about as well. Um, it's changing, but I think the the key is for any of these practices is is to go in to them with without those definitions, right, and just kind of going in open and to experience it for, for yourself and see it it might not be for you, but there's so many other things out there as well. Right. But we have all these definitions that we've picked up in so many different places. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think, um, when I say meditation, I think there's a lot of different ways to meditate. I don't necessarily think you have to have like a seated specific meditation practice in that way. Um, in fact, in my meditation program, we have a regular journaling practice. Um, I'm, I'm, doing a program that's like a two-year training with Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield, And it's like just part of our regular practice. So I don't mean to say that it's like only this one specific thing, but I think a self-reflective practice that has like a structure and purpose is important. Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk about one of the companies or methods or I, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, I'm, I'm referring to just providing, I think, accessibility and an element of of meeting people where they're at in their life and, and opening their eyes up to um, all these type of practices. And, you know, Peloton to me is, is, is that experience, obviously starting on, on a bike, but then there's just so much there. And obviously in your world is, is yoga. And I can't make this stuff up. Literally an hour and a half ago, I was meeting with someone for coffee and I, I didn't even say anything about this interview. And they're like, yeah, I'm just, I just finished my Peloton workout. It's just changed my life. And, you know, <laughs> I used to just spin and listen to music, but like this whole element of community and leaderboards and like, it's just changed everything. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, um, with with yoga and and bringing that that community together like what what's it been like for you being kind of strapped on this rocket ship called peloton okay so i'll start by saying like peloton is incredible not just for um the community that we get to belong to but um 
also because it does take this more holistic outlook. So for anybody who's taking a cycling class or a tread class or a um, boot camp or a strength class, they're getting more than just a workout. Yeah, Um, They're getting a community. They're getting uh, a coach who has a perspective and is in, you know, everybody has their own kind of way of doing it, but is, is encouraging them or it's similar, I would say to, you know, the, the way I explain teaching yoga is like, they're giving them an experience. And I think, um, it, it, it's important because it, it makes, it makes it so that we can have a human connection, even though it's through technology. And I think that's like just so valuable. Um, and it's very different from when I go to the gym, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, as far as, as my experience with uh, Peloton. So I launched yoga with Peloton with two other instructors. Um, and it, um, it was such an incredible experience to see just how much really goes into um, putting, you know, like making this happen. Like um, it's really, it's very thoughtful and it's um, we spent a long time deciding how we were going to teach what classes, you know, what lengths of classes when we did our meditation program, same thing, like which meditations um, kind of how to, how to, how to make it so that we could and receive and getting feedback right from our community. So really understanding how we could help um, people best. And that's like all of our goal, right? Is to create that connection and really be able to share these practices with people in a way that they could receive them. Um, and I, I think that uh, we, for example, um, just launched a sleep meditation program um and what happened was you know we saw that people really appreciated and were wanting sleep meditations and i think it's something that maybe is like a weakness for people is like getting great sleep yeah. <laughs> um and um and we were like hey like we think we could help with this you know and there's a lot of different ways to approach like being able to calm your to tune out the noise you know at the end of the day and we we kind of put this thing together so i think that um it it is really incredible that the 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 way that like we get to just like you know we have this platform to kind of just as best we can cater uh to our community to, to help them really to give them what they need or what they want well, what I love too is that just again, leveraging technology and, and having this this global reach and this, like you said, this like someone, like you can feel that there's thought and there's there's love behind what's being put out there. But then at the same time, it's also, it, it opens people up to all of these different, you know, fitness classes and then like practices and everything you're doing. And like that's online, but then I've heard so many stories and I'm, I'm a, I'm a result of this as well. Like you, then you start actually doing some stuff in person as well, right? Like you might go to that, yeah. I don't know, that yoga retreat or something or like whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the example is, but you just open people up again to 
what's possible and what's out there. And that maybe never would have happened without that online presence and the, the accessibility and, and whatnot. So it's just, I, I feel like it's just a beautiful circle. No, I think it's so, I think it's so cool. I, I mean, I'm so grateful for our community and I know um, how many people who like come to class or we have this annual event where people come to the studios and meet us and how many people have like met each other through the Peloton community from different places and walks of life. And I just think it's, it's so, it's such a testament to um, the connections that we really can make, you know, with each other. um, If we're kind of willing, if we're willing to do that and if we're willing to be vulnerable. Totally. Hey, it's Mark. Just want to take a few seconds to first thank you for listening and offer a free one-on-one 30 minute virtual mental fitness coaching session with me. Okay, so what's the catch? It's literally three minutes of your time to provide a review of the show. They are so important. So the first three people to screenshot the review and DM me or tag behind the human on Instagram will get a message back from me to set up a time for a session. Thank you so much and back to the show. I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, we're obviously talking about you, but I'd like to dive in a little bit more because I mean, you help a lot of people around the world and I'd love to learn how you're helping yourself as well, because you're probably in, let's just say one of the most, do we call it stressful or uh, energy infused? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Which, which I'm referring to as planning a wedding um, and not just, you know, a regular setup wedding. I mean, a destination wedding being in India also, and I, and I say this because I, I understand um, actually that the co-founder of Keo, my brother-in-law is, is also a Shah and married a Christian uh, woman. So I'm very aware of all the different um, cultures and religions and whatnot. So why don't you explain a little bit about your um, wedding planning and, and how you're mentally managing, you know, having a, a busy career and there's a lot going on and then tacking on something like this. So I'll talk a little bit about, first about what the wedding is, and then I'll sure. talk a little bit more about my strategies. Um, so I am, yes, I'm marrying, um, my wonderful fiance's name is Tony. <laughs> so he's, he's also a Christian man. He, his family is from, uh, they live in Virginia, but they're from, from the U.S. And my parents uh, live in India in Bangalore, but they're originally from Rajasthan. They're from like these smaller towns slash villages. So they didn't move back to like their hometowns when they moved back to India because they kind of were in the middle of nowhere. So when we were, you know, first of all, I will say like my, I, I've never wanted like a huge wedding, but I wanted to get married in India because that's what I knew and loved. Um, and I grew up going to Udaipur in Rajasthan almost every year, if not twice a year, because that's where my grandmother lived. Okay. And so I wanted to get married, you know, Rajasthan is where I'm from. So I wanted to get married there. Like I didn't want to get married in, I lived in Bombay. My parents live in Bangalore, but I didn't want to get married in a city. Um, I wanted to get married somewhere that like had meaning to me. Um, and, and my, uh, my fiance was totally cool with that and like excited about it. So, um, we decided to go ahead and, and do that. And so now we're planning this wedding that's at, it's, um, at this fort, it's like a couple hours from Udaipur. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, it's it's a really cool, it's like a palace that got converted into a hotel two years ago. And it's right next to this like huge famous fort. And I'm pretty excited that like we are pulling that off. But it is a lot of planning considering we're having a very fusion wedding. We want to make it like fusion. I like that. That's a great way. That's how I should have described it. Yeah, I, I, um, that's how I'm describing it because like we're trying to kind of, yeah, we're trying to bring together both of our, what's important to both of us. So we are having a Christian ceremony and also a Jain ceremony. And then we're having some of the other like events that you would normally have at an Indian wedding. But instead of having them spread out over a week, the way they might usually be, we're kind of smushing them into one weekend. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, Yeah. So wedding planning is a journey for sure. I think um, one thing that I, um, I did for myself is, you know, I, I still, um, I have a lot of like other things that I do right outside of work. For example, I still sing. Like I used to, I spent my whole life performing. I used to play the violin. Like I, I just really love being creative. So when I said like, you know, being an artist feeds my soul, like I still feel that way. It's yeah. just not my job right now. But just because it, it's not my job doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything to me. So one of the things that I've done is actually just take a step back from some of those extracurriculars because you know, I need the time. Um, and just like forgiving myself for like, you know, I don't, if I miss like whatever for, for two months, it's okay. Um, so that was the first thing I also, um, I think one of the hardest parts of wedding planning is realizing that the wedding is not really about you. (laughs) Um, like it's, so much of this is for my dad, like in the best way, you know, it's like, this matters to my parents. It matters to Tony's parents. Like, um, and so it can be emotional for everyone. And, um, I think the best way, and maybe this sounds like overly simple, but the best way for me to kind of mitigate some of the the emotions that come along with this or the frustrations that can happen when you're just dealing with so many people who have different opinions is, two things. One is remembering that the wedding is not about like the color of the umbrella or the flowers or whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's about like me and Tony and all our friends and family who are, you know, I'm so grateful that everybody's coming to celebrate. Um, and uh, the other thing is just honestly finding um finding it like within myself to be joyful because this is the only time in my life I'm going to do this. And maybe it is a lot of work and it sucks, but like how lucky to get to plan a wedding in India, like how lucky that my parents want to put on like an awesome wedding and that like my fiance wants to like, you know, give me what I wanted, which was to get married in India. And that like all of this is coming together. Like it just feels like, um, I know it's a lot of work and I'm committed to doing all of the work. Like that's what I signed up for when I signed up for this wedding. And I, I'm just trying to look at like how grateful I can be for how, you know, all these amazing things that are happening. Cause it's also not going to last forever. Right. It's crazy totally. right now, but also it, it's also like, okay, the wedding is, is next month. So, so it's going to end and I might yeah. as well enjoy it and be able to laugh about it and um, make the most of it, you know? How are you doing that? Because I mean, so a wedding is obviously uh, a, a big event, and but I but I do draw parallels to a lot of the things that we're doing in life as well, just as like product launches or just like new things that 
you, we, we often flip into planning mode and just so caught up in like autopilot of executing there that we actually don't step back and like, this is, this is the first time we're ever, or the first and only time we're going to do this exact thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is what you're describing. So is there, have there been any practices or, I mean, you mentioned gratitude, like, are you journaling about this? Like what's, what's tactically speaking, what's been helpful? Um, I, uh, have a practice with my fiance and actually one of my really best friends, one of my bridesmaids, her name is Sasha. She's also an amazing yoga teacher introduced this to me a while ago. Um, every night before bed, we just say three things we're grateful for. And it's really like a nice way to go to bed. You know, it's just like it, it, even when things are hard, there's just like, there's so much to be grateful for. And for me, I also think I am, um, I don't mean to be corny, but like, I'm so happy with my relationship and that I'm, I'm and that like this wedding is just like, to me, it's like a magnification of that in a way. It's like this, it's like this, um, physical manifestation of like, wow, like I'm, I'm so lucky to have an amazing partner. So I think Mm -hmm. like that, that, being kind of like, I think when big events happen, it's one thing, but like, it's like this event is particularly celebrating something that I'm already so grateful for that it makes it a little bit easier for me to find that. Sure. That's beautifully said. I like that. And I like that gratitude practice, um, with your significant other. That's good. I do have one other, um, yeah, go for it. One other strategy for, you know, in case, in case anybody is like also wedding planning, um, I, I think uh, we have a good kind of uh, plan to divide and conquer. So I know what my strengths are. I'm I'm a really good planner. I'm um, like in in regular life, not like wedding planning, but like I'm pretty sure. good. At, I will. I I I'm just. It's certainly been messier because it, there's so many people involved, and you know my job schedule is always changing, but. I'm really good at like whether it's lists or organizing or whatever. So like I feel like there are some things that I can just take the lead on and tell Tony, I got this as long as you trust me to get it. Like I got this. And then there's other things that I know he's much better at. Like maybe negotiating a contract is more his skill set. Or if there's a really like uh, if there's a conversation that I conversation that I know that I need him to be a part of, like being like this is what I need you to tackle. Um, I think really being able to recognize what your strengths are and your partner's strengths are, whoever your team is for wedding planning, right? Or your wedding planner, their strengths are kind of being able to divide and conquer so that like you're not trying to do literally everything. You're just doing a good job of the things that you're already good at. Um, I think that's like a really, that's like not really mindfulness. That's just practical. Um, But I think it's definitely helped and it, it kind of relieves the anxiety and pressure of like doing the things that either you hate or you don't like if your partner can take them on or you hate or you're not good at sorry that if your partner can take them on yeah but i mean it, it is so i mean it's not in terms of the practical standpoint maybe it's less mindfulness but i think even to get to that point and just the self-awareness to know you know this is and and the ability to drop the ego in it in the process as well right it, like these are the things i'm good at these are the things that I can use some help with. I mean, that, that definitely is a, is a skill. So I appreciate you being uh, open with the process. I, I mean, I feel like I couldn't not talk about given you're live in the thick of it. So well, absolutely. Actually, I heard something really incredible um, the other day. I think that this is like a, you know, kind of like 
a paraphrased something that maybe um, the Swami Shivananda said, you know, like the Shivananda yoga people or the yoga lineage rather. Um, sure. He just kind of was talking about in life. It's like, where is your happiness coming from? Right. Is it coming from like your your day to day life or is it coming from your ego, like from feeling successful or being good at something? And um, and I think like that's such a good kind of check. Right. It's like that's such um, a good question. Yeah, because, you know, it's true, like your ego, our egos do get involved in a lot of things. And I agree with you. It, it's actually it's so freeing to be able to be like, I am not good at this. I don't like doing this. And that's OK. Like, it's it's totally fine. Like somebody like in, the, in my situation, like Tony can do that thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's OK. I think it's OK. And even if somebody else can't do it, I think being able to acknowledge it just creates some space so that you're not like so worked up about it and it doesn't feel like so much pressure. It's like the second arrow, you know, that they talk about in Buddhism. Totally. Well, you know what I like about that question? Because there's been a lot of I don't know what it is, probably the last six months, but a lot of people that have left the question around happiness, but it's more in the frame of, you know, what makes you happy, uh, who makes you happy, things like that. But I, this this perspective, and this is what I just love about the this show and these conversations, is just it's just ever so slightly twisted, like a twisted perspective on, again, like where's the happiness coming from, and that's just so powerful. And it's just subtly different from the the other the, the ways I described the, the the past questions, right? So thank you for for sharing that. And I have since we're on the topic of questions, I definitely want to, you've dropped a few of them along the way, which I've written down, which are great. Um, but if you have any others that you find like self reflective questions that you find circulating in your life on a frequent basis or during big events, um, please let us know because I will put these in the show notes to hopefully help people in their own reflection or journaling or how, what, however they're doing, um, however they have these reflective practices in their lives. I find questions obviously help guide that practice. Yeah. Well, I would say like with regards to wedding planning, like um, the way that the question form of the first thing I said, which was recognizing that it's not really about like a, a, the color of your flowers is, yeah. I guess the question, the question form of that is like, what is your wedding about? Right. What is the feeling that you want to walk away with? Or what is the, and, and it can be in as much detail or as little as it like, what is the feeling that you want to walk away with? What is the feeling you want your guests or your family to walk away with? Like what's important to you or what will make this feel, you know, what's success, what's a, what is a successful wedding, you know? And is mm -hmm. it, is it in the details or is it in like, what is, what are you trying to, what is the wedding for? Right. Yeah, um, what's the purpose that. of this wedding? And I think actually in that framing, what's the purpose of the of this wedding? Like most people are getting married because they want to get, they really want to marry somebody, right? And I think I think when you put it in that perspective of like the purpose of this wedding is to marry this person, it's not necessarily all these other things. I think it that's that's the kind of question that can help reframe the way you're looking at things when things are frustrating. Um, I actually like that kind of, I like to zoom out and, mm -hmm. and uh, ask that question for most things. Right. So it's like um, if, if any big event or any, anything that's kind of making me feel a little bit crazy, it's always like zooming out and asking like, 
what am I hoping to achieve from this or what's the purpose of this? And I, I remember when I was a new, a newer yoga teacher, I would of course be so nervous to be um, teaching like these larger classes. Um, and I would just have to like kind of zoom out and, and remember like, it's not about me, right? It's about like sharing this experience of yoga. It's like sharing this teaching. It, it's really not about me. And, and that's what would help me like get out of my head. So I find that general practice, of, like zooming out and asking like the big picture questions to be um, just like a really helpful trick is the wrong word, but, uh, but of way of, of reframing. Cause I, I definitely yeah. get lost in the details. Well, totally. And it's just, I mean, you're human and, and so am I and the rest of the people listening and we get, we get stuck in these narratives, right? Looping in our heads. Um, and there's an endless amount of detail that we can think about or thoughts and decisions and whatnot. So what I love about these prompts is just to your point, you zoom up, you kind of break the autopilot and things calm down a little bit. It comes back yeah, to, absolutely. right? Exactly. We are always on autopilot and um, taking a moment to not be is so refreshing. Yeah. What, what, just to close off, cause I want to, I want to respect your time, but what are you excited about other than the wedding, obviously, but excited about, or from the practice standpoint, like things that you still have not yet tried or that you want to try? Is there anything that comes to mind? If I'm honest, I'm really happy with my, my yoga practice. Sure. Um, I'm always open to learning from new teachers and, and I think, you know, part of being a yoga person is being a lifelong student, whether you're a teacher or just a student, I just think like that's part of yoga. Um, I am pretty excited that I'm going on a, a seven day silent meditation retreat this year. Um, it's actually the first trip that Tony and I will take together married and we will be in separate rooms. (laughs) That's Um, amazing. (laughs) But, um, there's a strategy. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, you know, I, I've done a silent weekend before and actually when I was in high school, this was more related to like, it was different, but we, in Jainism, you do, you can also do like silence as like a, a tapasya, like a tapas, um, like an offering or like a practice of, 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 uh, discipline almost. Um, I did it. I did silence on Sundays. For a while, but I've never done seven days, (laughs) seven days in a row. And I've certainly not been, you know, guided. So I'm pretty excited about that experience. And I'm excited about growing as a meditation teacher for sure. Um, I think that I have gotten so much. Um, I've been so inspired by Tara Brock um, and Jack Hornfield, but like I discovered Tara first uh, and I'm taking this incredible course with them. And I, I, I am super excited about how I can, um, how I can explore using that more, whether it's with my Peloton community or just kind of life. I think that that is the thing I love the most about Tara is that she talks so much. And when she is talking, like she's a human, you know, and that's the thing that I think is so important, especially in a meditation practice. It's like the the power in being a, a meditation teacher is the ability to be human and to say, Hey, we're all having these experiences. Nobody is happy 100% of the time and nobody is perfect 100% of the time. And let's acknowledge that together. And let's like, let's realize that we're kind of in this together. Like we're all having these shared human experiences. Let's not pretend to be perfect, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And 
Tara does it so well, and it's really inspired me to to lead with that kind of vulnerability and kindness in my meditations. And I hope to, you know, continue growing in that way. I'm really excited to see what um, I get out of the the Vipassana retreat and um, and just like kind of continuing down this path. Well, I hope you I hope you see the mirror that is is in front of you when like just you saying those words and, and describing what kind of lights you up about how uh, Tara talks about all of this stuff like this. This is how I would describe you it, even even pre-interview, just our, our first conversation and just following you as well on on Instagram and whatnot. Like there's a there's a very clear energy and vibe to your work. And, I, you know, I really want to acknowledge you for that. And also, you know, thank you for, you know, coming out of school and, and slowing down and taking the time to, you know, do your thing to bring you to where you are today, because here you are, you know, really affecting millions of people around the world. And it's, it's just a beautiful energy. So thank you. That's so kind of you to say thank you so much.